Hi, welcome to Innovative Leadership, Co-Creating Our Future. I'm your host, Maureen Metcalf. I'm the founder and CEO of the Innovative Leadership Institute and a fellow with the International Leadership Association. This podcast is part of a series hosted in conjunction with the International Leadership Association as part of their 2020 Global Leadership Conference, focusing on leading at the edge. At the Innovative Leadership Institute, we help leaders elevate the quality of their leadership and co-create the thriving future they seek. We assist them in navigating the disruptive trends they're facing, developing strategies to elevate themselves and their organizations to continually meet the challenges they face. I'm a regular contributor to Forbes and the lead author on an award-winning book series focusing on innovating how you lead and transforming your organization. Thank you for joining us today. I hope you enjoy the content. I am delighted today to be joined by Darcy Winslow from the Academy of Systems Change and the Magnolia Moonshot 2030 Project. Darcy's the president and co-founder of the Academy of Systems Change. The Academy advances the field of awareness-based system change to achieve economic, social, and ecological well-being. Darcy worked at Nike Inc. for 21 years and held several senior management positions, most notably starting the Sustainable Business Strategies in 1999 and as senior advisor to the Nike Foundation. She serves on the board of the Carbon Underground and the Cloud Institute for Sustainability Education. The need for systems leadership, systems literacy, and collaboration are more important now than ever. The field of awareness-based system change is growing, and there are many very accessible ways to engage. Darcy joins the show today to discuss the idea that taking a more holistic or systems approach doesn't require a PhD in systems dynamics. Anyone can become a systems thinker and have a positive impact on the systems in which they work and live. And we're also going to be talking about the very exciting Magnolia Moonshot 2030 project. So Darcy, welcome. Thank you for joining me today. Thanks, Maureen. Thanks for the invitation. So is there anything you want to tell our listeners before we jump into systems change? Well, systems, we believe that children are actually born just natural systems thinkers. And the way our education system has been set up over, you know, decades, you know, over a hundred years has been to silo their thinking, silo their learning, and actually training them not to be systems thinkers. And so we just believe, because of all the critical and very complex challenges we face right now, that introducing more and more leaders to the field of systems thinking, systems change, and all the tools and practices, and from the academy perspective, really highlighting the awareness-based piece of systems change, all change starts with self. We just believe it's more important now than ever. Beautiful. So can you give our listeners a little bit of a primer for those who don't know about awareness-based system change or even much beyond the word system change? And I realize this is a field of study and hundreds, if not hundreds of thousands of books have been written about it. And yet not everyone knows what this is. Sure. If we start with the awareness aspect of systems change, it's really, like I said, all change starts with self and really understanding and seeing how I, as an individual, how each one of us as leaders influence and impact 
everything around us. It also really forces us to focus on how do we show up as a leader? And we believe that there are multiple cultivation practices that are helpful to becoming a systems thinker, a systems leader, and really committing to that work. It's lifelong practice, whether it's meditation or mindfulness, even Tai Chi, Qigong, that reflective aspect is so often forgotten. And we just move through our day from one thing to the next to the next. So our ability to reflect and even reflect on our own thinking is critical. So that's the awareness-based piece of it. And, you know, to really simplify, but not oversimplify what systems change, systems thinking is, it's really stepping back and seeing all the interconnected aspects of the world around us, our food system. What does it take to actually get food to our table? And if you think about that all the way back to the farmers and the farm and the seed and look at that entire value chain, that's a system. And it's been called one of the most complex systems on the planet. So that's a system. A family is a system. So if you're living with another person, you're a system. You're not just two individuals, you're interacting. And so it's just being able to see a system. And and we often say you have to be able to see a system before you can transform a system. And what that typically requires is to engage those others who represent different parts of the system, because each of us, we only represent one part of that. And we see the world through that lens. So it's getting the other voices, the other perspectives and then having a better understanding of where to intervene if you actually want to change it. We have a leadership competency model, seven competencies that that connect mindsets with behaviors, and you've hit on so many of them. One is highly authentic and reflective. So as a leader, to your point, who I am, how I behave, how I feel is contagious. So when I'm feeling angry or frustrated or anxious, I may think I can conceal that, but people catch it like they catch a cold or germs. I can reduce the impact by managing myself, but I can't completely cause it to go away unless I have these practices that really help me be aware and shift it. And that's easy to say, but I think everyone who's listening has had a an event happened in their life where it's really hard to get out of the difficult emotional situation. Right. One of the statistics I've read recently is one in four young people, so 18 to 24, has considered suicide in the last 30 days. I was on a call with a colleague and we were both recounting someone close in our lives, one who had succeeded and one who had not. We are going through the world right now in a pandemic, in an environment that is very difficult for various segments of people who are underserved or who are just struggling, young people in part because they don't, haven't yet developed some of the coping skills. And those situations impact us. So in my view, we are called so much as leaders to be an example, and yet without an ability to manage all of what's going on 
around us, even if our lives are working well, we are managing ourselves and the people we care about who are adversely impacted by this current situation. What you're speaking to, what we talk about a lot as leaders and especially as women leaders, which is a lot of my focus these days, is the ability to be vulnerable and to show that vulnerability. One of the other practices that we have, not just the academy, it's more broadly utilized these days, but it's called a check-in practice. And as you were speaking about, you know, we all hold emotions. We also know what is in our world that others don't. And let's say you show up at a meeting, how many times have everybody just jumped right in, get right to business, where you may actually have, just as an example, your spouse is very, 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 very sick. But if there's not a place to share that and just say, here's how I'm showing up today, and to be able to share that, that takes some of that tension down, that takes some of the, am I reading this person right? Am I not? And you can get into more authentic conversations. And really, you know, again, just have some sense of where the other people are. And too often, you know, I call it neck up work. You know, we just come in with our head and forget about all the other emotions that make us human beings. So it's a very simple practice, but it can actually transform conversations. So for people who haven't used this practice, can you share with our listeners what it is? Because I also find it to be incredibly valuable And it fits very nicely in any kind of a professional setting. So I know some people hear these things and they they have a visceral response to that's what those people do, but I can't do that in my environment. And I've used this across everything from steel workers to paper manufacturing plants. It's not something that is odd in most environments. Right. Well, the the simplest check-in practice is just before you start a meeting, you can start with a question that can that people can speak into. It can be personal level, it can be on a professional level, but just allow each person to take 30 seconds, a minute, whatever the time frame is, to just speak into that question. And before anybody else speaks in response to that, each person in the room has a chance to speak. And then you can go into dialogue. And it's just a way to get everyone's voice into the room. Because how often have you been in a meeting and there's one or two people who take up all the air in the room? And they may not have the best ideas. So it's a way to get all the voices in. If you're in a very large meeting, what we often do is put people into groups of three or four, even five, and they have that conversation amongst themselves. You know, we give them 10, 15 minutes, and they can actually go very deep, especially if they've never met each other. And then you can harvest some of the comments that came out of that. And your comment, I've used it with leaders at the World Bank. One of our academy fellows has actually used it on a daily basis with fishermen in Baja, California, where there was a real challenge working across boundaries between NGOs, government, and the fishermen. And it took almost a year. But in that year of daily check-in practices, the fishermen actually came to the point where they felt like they were equals. 
and they were they were able to really start to address these life-threatening and economically threatening and ecologically threatening situations that they were dealing with. So it's a very simple practice, but it's just that. It's a practice. You have to commit. Do it. Yeah. Well, and one thing you said that I think is really important, this is each person's voice and concerns come into the room. It is not a time for people to fix. So if I say my father-in-law is ill, it's not appropriate for everyone to ask questions about my father-in-law. We're there for a business meeting. Right. So there could be a time, but this is not a self-help group. It's No, it's not. It's not. And people can opt out if they don't feel comfortable. You know, it's very uncomfortable for some people. But the main point is to get let everyone have a voice before you move into the conversation. We actually, at one of our academy meetings, our check-in turned into six hours and it took over the rest of the day. And we got to such deep, deep challenges, ideation, different points of view, perspectives. This was in the early days of when we were still coming together as the academy. So they can take on many, many different purposes and they can be done virtually. We do them by phone. We do them by Zoom. We never start a meeting without a check-in. Interesting. And you made another point that it's also acceptable to just say, I'm here, I'm in. Exactly. Ready to work. And we often do checkouts. And those can be simply one word. What are you leaving with? It can be a little bit more lengthy, but it's also a way to close it down. And we, in December, the Academy, Peter Singy, Robert Hannock, and I, we ran a four-day Foundations for Awareness-Based Systems Change workshop, and there were over 100 people. And within 10 minutes, everyone was able to check out. And it's really powerful. And it, it really helps build a community over time. That's one of the things I hear is where I've used it mainly with intact organizations. You're using it with a broader range of people and to accomplish, in some cases, a much bigger purpose to help them coalesce versus conduct the daily business. But to your point, with intact organizations or teams, we often will frame that check-in question that will help address and get people's voice initially into what you want to address that day. Mm -hmm. It serves a, a dual purpose there and can really help accelerate and deepen the conversation you know, from the start. I was working with a group on resilience, and so that was the check-in question. And it did get to immediately identifying some of the behaviors that we use throughout the rest of the conversation. If you're exhausted and hungry, that tells me something about your resilience and your, your habits and how we as a group are structured in a way that isn't supportive of one another. That's right. That's right. So what's changing in the field of systems dynamics and systems thinking? Oh, so much. First, it's being recognized much more. The field is growing. When we talk about the field of awareness-based systems change, we look at it as a field like the medical field. It really is a field and more and more organizations, more and more people are contributing to that. And, you know, from the academy perspective, we've been very agnostic in terms of the different methodologies, 
the tools, practices, frameworks that have been developed over the last 30, 40, maybe even 50 years. So whether it's, you know, organizational learning or theory U or social emotional intelligence, appreciative inquiry, we tap into all of that. And more of those types of frameworks and concepts and approaches, that's expanding. And, you know, it makes me think of when I was first engaging and trying to integrate sustainability into Nike, there were very different kind of approaches to it from very scientific to very creative. Biomimicry was another one, cradle to cradle, natural step. And by introducing folks at Nike to each of these, and given the culture and given where they sat in the organization, the, the creatives really glommed on to biomimicry. It's such a creative, how do we look at innovation in nature? Those in other parts of the organization really appreciated the scientific approach of the natural step. And so I think that's one of the beauties of all these different methodologies in the world of systems change. Try them all out, see what works. You'll find there's a lot of similarity, but just different language and different practices that really get at the same thing. So the field is growing. The other very, very positive change I'm seeing is more and more youth are engaging. And these are the leaders of tomorrow. And it's really been certainly a focus of the academy to work with those emerging leaders, those who have a bit of a track record but they've got a really long runway ahead of them. And that was our fellowship program. So building their capacity and working with them, exposing them to these tools and the application in their work, in their field. It's not theoretical. If you don't apply it, if you don't practice, nothing's going to happen. And then with the Magnolias, we are beginning to work with young girls, 14 to 18 years old. And you think about where where they will be in 10 years and how many more women are entering things like politics, more and more certainly into executive positions within organizations. So yeah, that's where the focus is right now is to engage youth and really prepare them for the challenges that they're inheriting. So you just teed up Magnolias. Our listeners are probably not familiar with the Magnolia Project. So this was an idea of mine about two and a half years ago in our second cohort of fellows within the academy. We were at a gathering in Nebraska, and one of the women worked for a corporation in another country, and she led their sustainability work. And in a conversation, she became very upset because she was losing her sponsor, her champion. And it's hard enough coming from personal experience as a woman to lead this work when it's not part of day-to-day business. And she, she was very upset and she said, I have no support. And I said, well, I do have a support system. So the idea was to create a cohort of corporate sustainability women directors and managers. As I pulled in more advisors to really get that started, it evolved to where it is now, the Magnolia Moonshot 2030. And our key areas of focus are reversing the climate crisis, achieving the UN sustainable development goals, and really addressing racism and climate justice, social justice, equity. And we do that through joy, love, well-being, looking at what it means to be a conscious leader, 
and to bring in the divine feminine. So it's it's really working with and collaborating with other women, other women's organizations who are also focused on these and to create a network of collaboration so that we can learn from each other and actually accelerate possibility of achieving the 2030 climate goals and the 2030 UN Sustainable Development Goals. You're with Maureen Metcalf and Darcy Winslow, and we're talking about the Academy for Systems Change and the Magnolia Moonshot 2030 project. Darcy referenced the UN Sustainable Development Goals. So Darcy, for people who aren't steeped in this language or understand why we care, so you were at Nike, why would you have cared about the SDGs? Sure, the United Nations several years ago came up with the Sustainable Development Goals and the targets were initially around 2015. And they encompass everything from climate change to gender equality to you know zero poverty, zero hunger, and really looking at the, the reality, the status, how people live around the world, not just us in developed countries, but you know, especially in the least developed and developing countries. And they have, through a lot of data and a lot of research, they've set out why these are important, how they are interconnected, and the goals of what they would like to achieve under each one of these 17. And really challenged all the nations around the world. And I believe 191 nations have signed on to the UN Sustainable Development Goals. So it's it's a collective effort to achieve these such that people around the world can thrive, not just some, but all. Which I think is an amazing set of objectives. And it's embarrassing how little I knew about them, which is why I'm asking you to share a little bit more. It's so easy to get integrated into our daily lives and our own daily work and not necessarily be aware of these larger goals and why it matters. So let's now talk about a systems change project that you did or have worked with and how it connects to the SDGs Mm -hmm. and why it matters to a big company. Sure. I'll have to start with some of my work at Nike. So back in February of 1999, so almost 22 years ago, I was running the their global research design development division, which also included all of their advanced R&D departments. And I got very engaged in this pretty early nascent notion of sustainability and better understanding, do we really know the full impact of our business decisions, you know, the materials that we use, you know, the entire value chain. And so I set our 2020 goals, zero waste, zero toxic chemicals, and 100% closed loop systems. Also sustainable growth and consumption, which was a very foreign concept then. I think it's still pretty forward. This is not about growing, you know, indefinitely. That's not what I mean about sustainable growth. And so if I just take the toxics, zero toxics, as an example to illustrate why you need to engage an entire system. At that time, and for decades before, part of the shoe manufacturing process, and if you've ever been in a footwear manufacturing facility, they can employ up to 60,000 people. So these are huge operations 
and at this time we were primarily in Asia. But to have two parts of the shoe stick together, we used what was called volatile organic compounds. And just a quick story, I was a product developer, so I was in the factories quite a bit. And one summer I was at a factory in Bangkok, Thailand, and it was about 110 degrees. And I was walking a part of the line where they were using VOCs, volatile organic compounds. And there was a visibly pregnant woman working on that part of the line. And through my interpreter, I asked her if the, the smell bothered her. And she said only on Sundays which was her one day off. And so having been a mother, having been pregnant, I went you know, back to Beaverton, Oregon, back to Nike and talked with our lead chemist about this. And that over the next four years, we undertook a project to replace VOCs with water-based compounds. Now, if Nike had been the only company to utilize that, we would not have solved the problem. Because at that time, you could have Nikes being manufactured down one line, right next to it, Adidas, right next to it, Reebok. So we had to engage our competitors and work together to actually solve this health problem. So that's one relatively simple example of how setting a goal, understanding all the complexity of it and engaging others in the system. This is now being called collaborating with the enemy we had to work with our competitors to solve the problem. So what was the value proposition for the competitors that made them willing to look at the higher good of their employees over, I'm assuming, competitive advantage beating Nike? Well, we gave them our technology. Our chemists actually called together all the competitors, chemists at a gathering in Thailand once we had developed and proven this new process. And we shared it with them at no cost. So knowing that the VOCs were very detrimental to the health of workers, had they not started using the water-based compounds, they could have found themselves in a liability suit. One last thing, it's finding that pre-competitive space. Water is another issue, and water is one of the, the UN Sustainable Development Goals, clean water, sanitation, and access to fresh water and the apparel business, any apparel business is so water intensive. That's another pre-competitive space where there's actually a lot of innovation and collaboration happening right now. I'm just thinking, and this also gets to one of the underlying questions of the purpose of a corporation that I know has gotten a little bit more attention recently. And I'm gonna talk about the business roundtable and their affirmation of purpose that talks to beyond stakeholder, beyond making money. It's delivering values to customer, value to customers, investing in employees, dealing fairly and ethically with suppliers, supporting the community in which we work, and generating long-term value for shareholders. So that in and of itself is different than the traditional make as much money as we can. And not everyone is yet on board with those views. That's right. And there's a difference between creating value and having values. So I think that that is also changing. I think more and more corporations really are waking up to this, especially if they rely on finite natural resources. We look at the destruction of 
these finite natural resources, whether it's forest, ocean, whatever it might be, at some point, the question is no longer how much can we afford to pay for these natural resources, but will they be available at any cost? And for people who are longer term thinkers, what world do we leave for our children? What's the legacy? Exactly, exactly. And when ecosystems collapse, it is not linear. It's pretty dramatic. And so you can see it coming, but once an ecosystem collapses, it's millennia before they can be, if they can be restored. And so if you look at fisheries and so much of the human population relies on fish for their protein, and it's estimated between 80 and 85% of our global fisheries are overfished or on the brink of collapse. So we really do need to think about this as a system. Global system, which again gets to national boundaries. It doesn't matter if we're a more developed country and we have more money. We may be able to buy stuff from and keep it away from poor people so they die quicker. But when the system collapses, it doesn't matter how much money we have. Well, the pandemic, if we learn nothing else, we are connected as a global species. And it's raising interesting questions on who gets vaccines and at what rate. Exactly. Yeah, the, the climate justice equity, some of us within the Magnolias were talking as all of this was happening this year. And crises like these expose fault lines and inequity and racism climate. I mean, this pandemic, they say this is just a warm up, you know, as the permafrost continues to melt, that more of these buried microbes, we're going to be exposed to that. So we can no longer ignore these fault lines in our system. I mean, you know, another thing, look at the supply chain, the global supply chain, when the pandemic first hit, you know, it, it exposed how unable we were to adapt quickly. And so these fixed systems, they can collapse very quickly. All of this conversation then leads back to the importance of systems change. And I realize that for many of us, we want to focus on what's within our control, in our boundaries, so we can make progress. And yet the idea that, that you've said it after the pandemic, for people who weren't thinking about it before, we can no longer escape that the work I do and my life is part of a global system on many levels. I'm probably wearing clothes that weren't entirely made in the U.S., if at all. And the carpet I'm standing on, the curtains behind me, everything around me, or much of it, has a global orientation. And certainly my food, if I'm eating any kind of fruits and vegetables living in Ohio in the winter, many of them are not from Ohio. There's no escaping it now. And that's part of the awareness. And with that comes choice. So you, you now have choices once you become aware. And back to you know where we have influence, when I set the 2020 goals, we, one of the first things that we did was literally to create a visual map of how we saw the system. And that included the entire value chain from our upstream material suppliers, vendors, manufacturers, all the way to our retailers 
and our customers, our consumers, and both the land and the natural resources that we drew on and the atmosphere. So that was the system that we drew. And we then looked at it through the lens of these goals to understand where do we have control? We as Nike, we as people, you know, leaders within Nike, where do we have control? Where do we have influence? And where do we have impact, both positive and negative? And out of that comes choice, where you invest, where you innovate, who you collaborate with, who you partner with. But consumption, since you you bring that up, you know, when we talk about the ecological impact that we are having on the planet, it comes from primarily three different areas, population, population growth. So we know we're going to be 10 billion plus by 2050. Population is actually growing to an estimate 0.7% per year. The use of technology, whether it be, you know, wind, solar, things like that, are we really getting our bang for the buck? And the answer is no, we're not utilizing this technology as much as we could to make a difference. And then the third piece is consumption or lifestyle or affluence, how we live, the choices that we make. And they estimate that if everybody consumed the way we do in the US, for example, that by 2050, we would be using between five and seven Earths worth of natural resources. Right now, we're, we're around 1.75 Earths, and we only have one. We surpassed using one Earth worth of natural resources back in 1980. So we have to wake up to the choices that we're making, our consumption patterns. That is the greatest leverage point each one of us has. With that in mind, you're dedicating your life to the Systems Change Academy and the Magnolias and whatever comes next. What is most interesting and most compelling to you right now? And I assume it it is around solving this consumption issue. That's part of it. But given where I am right now and just my kind of lifelong commitment to women, women athletes, women leaders. I ran Nike's women's business, working with the Nike Foundation, which was focused on adolescent girls, young women in the least developed countries in the world. I really want to work to grow, support, build the confidence, lift the voice, create a community of women leaders. So that is at the heart of Magnolia Moonshot 2030. And what's really inspiring me these days is, you know, just today, Greta Thunberg once again spoke to the climate crisis. I mean, 14, 15, 16, 17 year old women. And we've actually got two burgeoning cohorts of 14 to 18 year old girls who have been inspired by the Magnolias. One is in Pakistan. And it's focused on gender equity, gender violence, education, economic literacy. And then the other one that started out of Europe will also be 14 to 18 year old girls, but now it's being created by girls from the US, from the Netherlands, from Spain, from Iran. And they are solely focused on addressing the climate crisis and other women's organizations who are really committed to this, whether it's We the Change, which is made up of over 250 female B Corp CEOs to collaborate with them. 
So how do we create a network of women that inspire and just build the confidence, the voice, support each other so that we can actually achieve these goals? They're really impressive goals. So I imagine we have listeners who are saying, what can I do? How do I connect with you? How do I participate? I may not have an expertise in systems change, but I may be doing something really interesting here or there. How would you encourage people in a way that you can sustain? We launched Magnolias right when COVID hit. And we were actually going to be very active in communities around the world. We're now going to launch virtually and just engage women leaders around the world. One of the visions I had was to create something where there was no barrier to entry just a commitment to get in the conversation. I also co-founded another organization called the Generative Council under the Center for Nature and Leadership. And our mantra was, give what you can, take what you need. But it's up to each one of us to make a difference in our own community. So it can be as simple as when we launch our live conversations and podcasts, not dissimilar to this, join in, listen, and then really reflect on, well, what can I do? What difference can I make? What did I learn from that woman and their organization? What are they doing to make a difference in one of these areas? And to adopt it and integrate it into your life. If you have the means, we would love your financial support. What we will do once we raise a certain threshold of funding is to put out an application for other projects similar to the one in Pakistan, which is called This Is Us Discover, and the one that started out of Europe is called Our Future. We will then support these types of projects, both financially and with mentors out of our community of women leaders. So lots of ways to get engaged, and it really doesn't take much effort, just a commitment to make a positive difference. So I could listen to your podcasts and influence in my own life and my own sphere. I could donate. I could be a mentor. I assume the applications are something like when you ran the Nike Foundation, that you're offering a set of tools so that people get money and expertise to implement it, especially if they're young, young folks who aren't experienced in this space. Right. And there are many organizations out there, great organizations who do similar things, a call for application and you select the projects. And I've been, you know, part of the judging and supporting these in the past through organizations like Caterva. So it's not a new idea, but we are just, you know, laser focused on supporting women and their work in those three areas, climate, sustainable development goals, justice, equity, and anti-racism. Were you the person who told me it's Jedi now? When we started the Academy, (laughs) we wanted to call our fellowship program the Jedi Academy. And we just thought, well, Lucas probably wouldn't appreciate that. But, you know, we looked at what would it take to find the Padawans, these early, young, you know, high potential youth. And then Jedis in training are the next step, which is kind of how we talked about our fellows, such that they become these Jedi masters who really understand how to use these tools and engage others. Wonderful. So as we are closing, do you have any closing comments before we give people your contact information? 
I would say, you know, I've done two expeditions to the Antarctic climate change expeditions, and I'm going back again with Robert Swan and his organization 2041 in November of 2021. After I came back from my first one, I brought together about 50 or 60 friends and family and shared the story of what I learned and the photos. And at the end, they were just dead silent. And then one woman raised her hand and said, what can I do? And I said, well, you have a choice. You can peek through the portal and see the challenges that we face and retreat. I, I can't do anything, but status quo be. The second is peek through that portal, find a leader and follow them or storm the door and do everything you can as leaders. Just do something. Or as we said at Nike, just do it. Just do it. So if I want to just do it, how do I find you, the Magnolia Project? How do I, what's my first step? Well, the Magnolia website is www.mm2030.org. We've got the opening videos of each of the founders of the Magnolias up now. We're about to launch our Sprout series, which will be to engage other women leaders. And so we'll be coming online with those opportunities to engage in the coming months. Thank you so much, Darcy. This is so important at this point in time and brilliant to know that women from young to older, and I'm assuming you also allow men to participate, that advocates and allies are, are welcome. And we have opportunities to use systems tools to make the impact in the areas that are most important to our well-being and the, the inhabitability of our planet to not overstate where we are right now. That's right. A great resource is systemleadersfieldbook.org where we've inventoried and curated a lot of these tools and practices free for use. Just tap into it. Brilliant. I think I have one of your other books and it is the book that has been most used in my library. So thank you for your brilliant systems work for now decades. Oh, thank you, Maureen. You're welcome. Thank you for listening. We hope that you will connect with Darcy and make an impact in the Magnolia Project. We're delighted to share the wisdom from the International Leadership Association 2020 Global Leadership Conference, Leading at the Edge. We encourage you to join for additional conversations. Please bookmark this podcast, subscribe, like it, share it with your friends and colleagues. Most importantly, thank you for focusing on elevating your own leadership and making an impact in the world today.
Thank you for investing your precious time with us today. We're delighted to share the wisdom from the International Leadership Association 2020 Global Leadership Conference, Leading at the Edge. We encourage you to join for additional conversations. Please bookmark this podcast, subscribe, like it, share it with your friends and colleagues. Most importantly, thank you for focusing on elevating your own leadership and making an impact in the world today.